Well, this morning we are starting um, a sermon series we'll be looking at this summer uh, entitled Life Together. And our goal and our hope for the sermon series is that we will grow in our understanding of an application of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. What does it mean? What it means to do life together as fellow disciples in Jesus Christ. We have different backgrounds, different gifts, different perspectives in some areas. But the Bible tells us that we are one in Christ. So our goal is to look at the many topics related, related to our life together, things like service or worship or discipleship or evangelism, the role of the Holy Spirit, etc. But today, as you probably deduced from the, the, the front of the worship guide and from the, the children's sermon a few minutes ago, today we're going to start with a topic of prayer. And um, it's great because the, the verse I wanted to kick off with is the verse that Barbara used. Philippians 4, 6, which says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So what does it mean to, to pray? Uh, one of the questions I get as a pastor is, how does prayer work? And, and one way to think about prayer is that prayer is the oxygen which keeps a Christian alive and well. Without prayer, we become religious robots. Uh, we do the right thing most of the time, but it's in our own strength. And we lack the power and punch to be the person that God has called us to be. As Barbara said, prayer is a holy conversation with our creator. It's communicating with God, asking him for things, telling about things in our life, um, expressing our feelings to him, telling him how we feel about himself. And biblically speaking, prayer is not something that we just do is to be a way of life. It's to be a thread that that runs through everything that we do and are as we walk this journey of discipleship. That's why Paul tells us in Colossians 4 to devote yourselves to prayer. That's why he says in First Thessalonians 5, be joyful, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you know what a life posture is? A life posture is a metaphor that describes a person's way of of going through life um, through describing their physical postures. So, for example, uh, you know those guards, those British guards who march back and forth in front of the Queen's Palace in London? Their backs are ramrod straight. Their eyes are straight ahead. Nothing distracts them from their duties and responsibilities. Some people go through life like that, but it's hard to have relationships when that's your life posture. Some people live life like those, those goofy bobbleheads, you know. They're knocked off kilter at the slightest bump. They're unstable. They react to every pressure around them. Some people live life like those people you see in pictures from third world countries where physical labor is, is about the only way you can get things done. And you see some poor man or woman carrying a heavy load on their back, and they're stooped over by the weight, by the burden. Some people, that's their life posture. They're weighed down by some invisible burden, some hurt, some shame, some problem from their past. Eyes down, one foot in front of the other, isolated. Some people are the opposite of that. Their life posture is like an NFL running back. You know, knees high, shoulders low, knocking over anybody who's in their path, trying to stop them from getting where they want to go. There was a football coach who was fired a few years back 
And when he was fired in his closing press conference, he said an old friend had told him this. Better to die standing up than to live on your knees. So his life posture was dig in your heels. Don't knuckle under. Don't admit any wrong. Don't change your stance when pressured to do so, which could be good advice in a limited circumstances. For example, when you're pressured to, to compromise your convictions or your faith in Christ. But for most situations, it's, it's a terrible life posture. So what does the scripture say? Scripture tells us that we are to live life from our knees, not cowering in fear, not caving into pressure, but being people of prayer to live life from our knees, constant and consistent communication with our creator. Why does the Bible tell us to do that? Well, because God provides power when we're on our knees. God shapes us when we're on our knees. He pours out his love and blesses us. When we pray, we put ourselves in a posture where the Lord can most fully work in our lives. That's what it means to be a person of prayer. That's to be our life posture. Along with the passage that was just read a few moments ago by Hannah and Jesus when he taught the disciples how to pray, I want to read another prayer. This one is from 1 Chronicles 29 in the Old Testament. And I'm going to start with verse 10. The words will be on the screen uh, behind me. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. What a wonderful prayer. And the context is, is that um, the people of Israel have just given this generous, overwhelming, abundant offering. And the purpose of this offering was to build a great temple for God in Jerusalem, their capital. Up to this point in the history of Israel, um, there was no central place, no temple that would represent God's place in the life of the nation. Uh, and up to this point, the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of God's resting place, his presence, was moved from place to place. But now God has given David the okay to build this temple, a place where people could come together and worship, to learn about him, to hear his word, to offer sacrifices, a place where God would be honored. And so after this incredible response, this wonderful, generous offering from the people of Israel, David prays a prayer of consecration and thanksgiving. And it's interesting to note that David praises God in front of all the people. He worships God publicly. He's not ashamed to be enthusiastic, to be expressive. He's the king, but he humbles himself in front of his people in worship of God. He's not passive. He's not lukewarm. He's not waiting for something to move him. And we know from the Psalms that that David worshiped God privately. Many of his Psalms were written and sung to God by David. For example, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. You know, I think one of the reasons that so often, so many worship services seem to fall flat uh, around the country. Is that 
that's the only time people are worshiping. It's like showing up for a game and not having practice at all during the week. It usually doesn't work real well, does it? God has made us for worship. We are designed to worship him corporately, yes, on Sunday mornings, but also individually and privately throughout the week. And I believe that there is a direct correlation between how much a person worships God during the week and how much they get out of a worship service and encounter his presence on a Sunday morning. Now, we want to be a church that is centered and founded in prayer. That's one of the reasons that every week we, we have a list of prayer requests and needs from people connected to our church family. It's in our worship guide. I encourage you to use that along with your other prayers. It's a way for us to come together as one, to do life together, to pray for each other and carry each other's burdens in Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, prayer doesn't come easily from me. It's never been something that it comes easily for me. Well, I would encourage you. Just tell God what's on your heart. Just talk to him throughout the day. It doesn't have to be perfect. It may not even be right, but just talk to God constantly and consistently. Pray scripture back to him. I found that very helpful in my life is, is to pray scripture back to God. And over time, as you do this, your prayer language will expand. And over time, you're going to grow in your, your worship as well. You know, one of the things we can do is to is to ask God to teach us what it means to worship him in spirit and truth. We can ask God to open our heart up to him more. We can ask God to increase our joy and our dependency upon him. We can ask him to help us to experience the abundant life that he came to give. We can ask God to unify us through our worship together. That's what David did. Listen to verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. And all these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. So David acknowledges, he prays that his people would be people of integrity. You know what integrity is? Integrity is, is wholeness. It's consistency. It's being the same person in private, in public, no matter who you are with and what the circumstances are. In our faith, it means when we say God, that we love God, our actions show that we do. And when we say we love God and when God looks at our hearts, he knows and sees that we do. That's what it means to have integrity, to be wholehearted, not with a divided heart. And so David, at this prayer, after this tremendous offering, he sees that his people's hearts, they're whole. They're wholehearted. They're committed to the Lord. But he's not presumptuous that they will always be that way because he knows from personal experience all too well how temptation and distractions can cause one's heart to be divided. And so he prays for his people. Now, this church has a wonderful history and heritage. It was founded 141 years ago this past April. And over that time, thousands of people have come to faith in Christ. Thousands of people have been discipled in their faith in Christ. Countless resources have been given for missions and evangelism and service, both locally and globally. I'm so honored to be a part of this church body. But we can never be presumptuous regarding God's blessing. The stakes are too high to coast on our laurels. And the way that we can assure that we do not do that is to be people of prayer 
Verse 18. O Lord God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. When, when we pray that prayer for ourselves and for our church, God will honor and God will answer that prayer. There's a, there's a wonderful story about Charles Spurgeon. He was a 19th century pastor and preacher, uh, widely known, uh, widely effective, one of the most powerful preachers of his time. People still read his sermons for inspiration and insight today. In fact, Pastor Luke, that's one of his big heroes on his desk. If you go to his office, there's like it's not a bobblehead, is it? It's a bobblehead. It's a bobblehead of of Charles Spurgeon. You know, I think every once in a while I walk by and he's just kind of looking at him, just 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 looking at the guy trying to get inspiration. But but Spurgeon, his his church was always packed on Sundays and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And with all this growth, of course, people were curious, what's the secret? Why is this happening? And so one day, a particular group of, of clergy and lay leaders came when service was being held and they asked Spurgeon, what is the source of the power in your preaching? What is the cause for the numerous conversions? What is the cause of the obvious moving of God's spirit in worship? And he didn't answer them. He simply said, follow me. And he took them out of the sanctuary and he took them downstairs into the basement where dozens of people were praying fervently during and for the worship services. And he said, this, this is the furnace room which fuels the fire that burns in our hearts. Our vision for our church is that we go deeper in Christ and further in mission and that we are changed in the way we do life together. That's a vision for us as individuals, but also for our church body. We are a part of the body of Christ. We are connected together. And when you look at the life of the early church in the New Testament, when you look at the life of Jesus and his disciples, they did life together. They were committed to the Lord and they were committed to each other. Deeper in Christ, further in mission, life together. And that vision will never be fully realized unless we devote ourselves wholeheartedly to prayer. That's one of the reasons that this uh, Monday night prayer meeting happens on a weekly basis. A time where you can come, you can pray with other believers, you can pray by yourself, you can come and go, you can stay the whole time. But we want to be people of prayer where everything is fueled by prayer and our dependency and our, and our consistent communication uh, with our Father in heaven. I want to close with a story uh, told by Pastor Bruce Thielman. He tells a story about a trip to Copenhagen, Denmark. He writes, Copenhagen is a nice city and there are many things to see there. But if I could only spend one hour in Copenhagen, the place I'd go again would be the Church of Our Lady. That's where the great Thorvaldsen statues are. When you walk into the church, it's very dim. But after you're there for a few minutes, you begin to see the statues. They're carved out of cold stone, but they look like warm, living personalities. So warm they can melt your heart. He writes, one statue of Christ stands with his arms extended. I walked up to the statue, and as I looked, I thought, his eyes are closed. He must be in prayer. But a man who sat in the front pew said to me, you have to get on your knees to see his eyes. And he writes, I got down on my knees and I looked up and there was such grace and mercy and compassion and love in those eyes. It was almost more than I could bear. 
God has designed us to live our lives from our knees because, frankly, that's where we get a glimpse of his grace and his mercy. And that's all we need is a glimpse, just a glimpse. And it changes us. And it changes our perspective. And it changes our values. And it changes our life together. If we want the rest of this year to be an extraordinary year, a year where we see God at work in our lives, in our church family, it must begin with being devoted to prayer, wholehearted, committed prayer. It must to begin. It has to begin only from this posture. It must begin from our knees, communicating to our Father, our love, our heart, our passion for Him. And for each other. So I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to put this into practice, what I've just preached. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And if you want to, you can kneel. If that's not possible, just stay in your seats. But I'm going to read a prayer from, from Ephesians 3. Paul's prayer for them and for us today. So let's pray together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God, the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.